This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Midwives are a special type of nurse, a special type of person. There's just something about midwives. In an instant, you trust them. And let's face facts, you trust them at a time that is one of the biggest life events that you will no doubt ever experience. But Jonathan Kendall, as always, joining us from ABC Gippsland. Like so many other professions, we have a huge shortage of midwives at the moment. And I totally agree with you. Midwives are a special breed of people. I've never met a midwife that I don't like. They're just generally really, really lovely people. But we just don't have enough of them, as you say, Rish. So the World Health Organization has warned of a shortage of 900,000 midwives globally. So around the world, we're nearly 1 million midwives short. And locally, we're already seeing the impacts of that. There's a key maternity unit in Geelong that's due to close uh, in March or the 1st of March because of staff shortages. Women are are giving birth in emergency departments and new mothers are are prematurely discharging themselves from hospital because there's just not enough staff to support them in those maternity wards. That's right. And the complications move on. I mean, there are labour inductions that are being delayed at major Melbourne hospitals along with routine pregnancy checkups. And we know the further your pregnancy goes on, the more regular those checkups are. In many cases, some of the ratios, the midwife ratios of one midwife for every four patients are just not being met. And as a result of all of those things we've just listed, Jono, we're hearing some awful stories now about how that can contribute to birth trauma. Because at the end of this, where there's a midwife shortage and what they are unable to do, that is having an impact on the health and the well-being of a woman and her unborn child. Yeah, which can, it's really interesting to follow that through. This can all impact women and actually cause trauma for women and cause lots more problems down the track. Really interested to look into the causes of this too this morning but how do we encourage more people to become midwives and will for example making nurse courses free would that help so are you a midwife and how much pressure are you under what's the reality of a day for you at the moment and what changes would you like to see to bring more midwives into your profession on abc radio melbourne and victoria this is the conversation hour Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne, Jonathan Kendall joining you from ABC Gippsland. And you can add midwives now to the growing list of shortages of skills that we have across Victoria. And... The impacts of this are long-ranging, Jono, and we will barely be able to scratch the surface today because there's how that impacts women in Melbourne and suburban Melbourne. There's how a midwife shortage will affect women in regional and rural Victoria. That is very different. And if you've got midwives or not enough midwives and entire maternity wards being shut down in certain parts of the state, that's going to have huge implications. That's right. Like in Portland, Portland had its maternity ward shut for about five months earlier this year, basically because of a lack of staff as well. So this isn't necessarily a new picture uh, problem, but I reckon COVID has intensified. Like lots of staff shortages, COVID has really um, compounded the problem. So particularly if you are a midwife, we would love to hear from you today. Patrick is with us now from Glen Ormiston. And Patrick, your daughter's a midwife. Yeah, that's right. My middle daughter is a midwife and a paediatric special care nurse. Um, And I'm just really proud of her and the cohort. I get a bit emotional about it because they've worked 
so hard and dedicated themselves so hard in that course to become these wonderful, amazing people. And the work they do is really special. And I just wanted to give a shout-out to my daughter, Kiara, and her cohort of um, wonderful, wonderful midwives uh, at John University Hospital. Patrick, I completely understand why and how you're emotional when you're talking about this because it's emotional work isn't it when you know there's a certain image that being a midwife is just catching babies wrapping them up and swaddling them in a blanket and moving on but that is far from the reality of being a midwife it is grueling hard work that woman and their partner is relying on you so much and the pressures that are on midwives but at the same time Oh, my goodness. They are an incredible cohort of professional, generally women. We, John and I were saying we haven't actually met or heard from any male midwives, so it'd be lovely to know if there are many males out there working in this field. But it takes a special type of person, doesn't it, Patrick, to do this sort of work? It sure does. And the level of empathy um, that they must um, inherently have, um, the ability to care and, and just... Also, the, the stamina, the long hours, um, the, the long shifts, the things that can go wrong. Um, and and in, in most cases, it's the midwife that takes the lead, not the, um, not the doctor. Um, um, from, from my own personal experience, when we had our children, it was the midwives um, that were the lead in the, um, in the whole process. And so, yeah, yeah I've got nothing, nothing but praise. Oh, me too, Patrick. And you said your daughter, Kiara, works at Geelong University Hospital. So uh, the maternity ward at Epworth in Geelong is scheduled to close on the 1st of March. Do you, has she spoken about potentially feeling the stress or pressure that, you know, uh, women will be coming to her hospital to give birth? No, I haven't discussed any of that with her. Um, yeah. I'm just really proud of, of what she does and I, I try not to, um, to, to bring things up like that because I think once they've walked out the door they need to recharge and reset um, so yeah I, I just let that go I just um, I'm just grateful that, that um, she's in that service yeah, so me too. are we. <laughs> yeah, we are. We Good really on you, are. Patrick. You, should, you have every Thank right you. to feel really proud of Kiara, absolutely. Because I know there are some incentives out there. So the Andrews government has been trying to attract new midwives and nurses. They're promising sign-on bonuses for graduates and subsidies of up to $16,500 just to study in this field. So they know there's a problem as well, but we would love to hear from you this morning. Liz Adams is a midwife and maternity unit manager with West Gippsland Health. Can you just paint a, a picture for us? Like, what's what's a day in the life of a midwife like at the moment, Liz? Um, so I would say I'd love to reflect on what you've said previously. We are experiencing the same difficulties day to day with um, our workflows. And what we do is we work collaboratively with our obstetric team and we triage and prioritise our workload every day, all day. So it's not a case of coming on in the morning and having your woman to look after, your number of patients or women, sorry, in our postnatal setting, one to four. It's constantly changing. We're redirecting staff to birth suite, which is our high priority area. So it's quite frustrating and uh, for midwives to actually give the care in that way. We're not used to working in that model. How long have you been a midwife for, Liz? 
Oh, I've been a midwife. I trained in the UK in 2004. I qualified and I've been in Australia for 15 years. And how much have you seen the profession change? Oh, I've seen it change a lot. We, we used to, or what we're used to giving is um, exceptional care. I think we're very passionate about the women, our families we look after. We uh, want to give that one-to-one continuum of care and that's become very difficult due to the fact that our workflow changes so quickly. Um, and it's also frustrating at times the fact that we are counselling clinics or re-diverting our staff to first suite and um, obviously, as you said earlier, counselling inductions or actually rescheduling them. It's um, quite frustrating but uh, it's quite a heavy load to bear when you know that you're... Um, what I'm trying to look for, we are actually um, upsetting the, the women with this, changing their what they see is going to be their... their um, booked induction we're changing that date sometimes yeah yeah well i'm i'm, I'm really interested into about how COVID has uh, intensified this problem because the stat I've got in front of me right now is one in five midwives are estimated to have left the profession during the pandemic one in five midwives have just stopped yeah working as a midwife. And I don't have any stats on how many midwives have reduced their hours back. So, I mean, that's part of the reason where we're seeing some of these maternity wards close. But um, have you seen that? Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, there are some, they're obviously left for varying reasons. Some that they're giving are that they've decided with our ageing workforce to now seek the retirement, that they were probably going to work past retirement age and now they've... Um, gone to retirement we've had um, staff that go to casual uh, which our casual list has grown so that's been a, a disadvantage but an advantage and with that I mean it's it's probably the casual workforce has changed with their um, what are they allowed to do so they now accrue long service leave they accrue um, or have sick leave so it actually makes that very um, enticing mm. to actually Reduce your hours. So that's something we've been facing as well. Liz, um, but also the work-life balance. Liz Adams is with you, a midwife maternity unit manager at West Gippsland Health. Stay with us. Abby's in Balaclava. Hi, Abby. Hi, how are you doing? Good. So you're a midwife? Yes, I've, I'm a midwife. I've, I've been a midwife for just shy of a year. So I've completed a, um, a graduate program, which is what you usually do as a new midwife um, when you're coming into the maternity public system. And what made you want to become a midwife, Abby? Oh, um, I think I've always known that I wanted to be a midwife. I've always been fascinated by, you know, pregnancy and maternal health and supporting women um, in becoming mothers and just knowing um, how uh, ungeared socially and culturally um, a lot of um, uh, the, you know, where we're growing up in is um, geared towards supporting mothers in that sort of um, time in their life and wanting to kind of fill the gaps a little bit in my profession for them. Mm. What do you know about the kind of pressure that you'll be under when you start as a midwife, Abby? Uh, so I know it acutely because uh, I've uh, started as a midwife and, and done that for um just shy of a year now um, and so um, you know I can speak to experiences such as um, you know my first week on the postnatal ward um, which is where women have um, just had their babies um, I was allocated eight women plus their babies so 14 wow. 16 patients um, and there was no there was there was no other choice um, in the matter like that was just 
how we were staffed uh, on that particular day. And there have been many other shifts where it was very similar to that in the core midwifery shift working system. Um, I know just two days ago at my particular hospital, we had 24 sick calls. So we had three midwives on the entire maternity ward trying to manage women and their babies. Um, So it's just, it is um, a shocking, shocking experience. Uh, for midwives, but particularly for mothers and babies and mothers who are having their babies for the first time um, and expect to be cared for. Those ratios, because I thought you were supposed to have the ratio supposed to be one midwife to To four four. patients. Yeah. But that seems to have gone out the window. That's the the legal requirement and that's um, a requirement that Victoria, um, Victorian nurses and midwives voted for that they, um, uh, I, I can't remember how long ago, I think it was in the 90s, they said that um, they wanted to have that legal ratio of one to four over a pay rise, which is different from um, in different states. Um, so Victoria is particular to that. But since the pandemic, there's actually been no way for those ratios to be um, honoured because they're, they're, it's not possible. There are not enough midwives and there are more people having babies now. So it's actually just not a possible thing to abide by anymore. And Abby... It didn't turn you off. You did your year's placement and at the end, this is still a a profession and a career you want to do? Yes. uh, So uh, I think there were about 20 midwives who started the graduate program with me. Now I know about uh, 20% of that cohort dropped out before um, completing their graduate just because of the working conditions and the shock. Um, There is a model of care... um, at this particular hospital I work at, which is quite rare, but why I chose this hospital is called Caseload Care. And I was lucky enough um, a month ago to be accepted into that model, um, which is a continuity of care model where I have my own caseload of women um, alongside a team. And so um, I'm on call eight days a week and then six days off. Um, But it is a much more satisfying model to work in both as a midwife and for the women. Unfortunately, only uh, 7 to 8% of um, referrals into this hospital actually get accepted though because there's just not enough midwives working in the model. Oh my goodness. Abby, you have just given us so much information. Thank yeah. you so much and we wish you all the best. We, we really do Thank because you. hand on heart, th- yeah. they're incredible, Jono. If yeah. I think back to, I had a really traumatic birth. It was super stressful. The yeah. one beside yeah. me, however, had an easy birth. But yeah. the... Yeah. The midwives are, like, if you had to go into battle with someone and you had to pick a, a profession to take with you, hands down, it'd be a midwife. Like, <laughs> well, there's kind of nothing they haven't seen and nothing they're really uncomfortable with. They've seen it all. Um, so I can understand why you would say that. But I'm really conscious here, Rish, of, like, I don't want to turn people like Abby off becoming no. a midwife because she's done it for a year and we really need people like her to stay in it and and she was talking about a lot of her cohort or her colleagues who 20 percent yeah who have dropped out but I, i really don't want this show to be you know don't become a midwife because i feel like it could be a really fulfilling career it's just at the moment there's a whole lot of stress and and pressure that's part of it just finally liz adams listening to abby there are you worried that this is the new normal now um, yes, I'll say I am. I've, this is something um, we were discussing um, amongst the team recently, is that it's become the new norm that um, we can struggle to find staff every shift. Uh, we know when we're coming on that we're going to be short shift, you know, have short staff on our ward 
prior to even commencing the shift and then that's impacted by sick leave. So there is a, a worry that this is a new norm. Um, and I think it's lovely to hear from Abby that she's still training and she's still going through that. It's lovely to hear that there's still students out there that have the passion that want to carry on. Mm. Yeah, Liz, look, thank you again to you for all of your time and expertise this morning. Liz Adams, Midwife Maternity Unit Manager at West Gippsland Health. And we're talking about places that are having a baby boom and and pressure on services. West Gippsland is going through a baby boom for sure. Uh, Margaret is in Bairnsdale. G'day, Margaret. What's your point? Good morning. Um, I actually trained as a mothercraft nurse in the mid to late 70s. And as we finished the actual course, um, mother craft nurses were phased out. What's, what's um, a mother craft nurse? A mother craft nurse assists the mother to care for her baby and also to assist the mother with whatever needs that she may have on a personal level, with, um, you know, post-birth in the hospital itself and also teach the, the mother how to... Um, Breastfeed, you know, if that was, you know, if the mother was struggling with breastfeeding, she would help the mother with that. She would um, show the mother how to bath the baby. She was were primarily there to be, an, a, you know, a helper for the mother and the baby. And so, you want to see us return to that kind of model of care? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think that a mothercraft nurse in um, in a maternity ward is um, would be a huge help in the, cr- the current crisis. I think that yes. It's a really good point, Marg. Thank you. I mean, there's similar text saying midwifery has changed so much I had to leave. It's not midwifery anymore, but more obstetric nursing. Women-centred care is now really hard as our workload has changed so much. There's so much more paperwork and medical aspects of our responsibility. I'm now a maternal and child health nurse and I'm loving it so much. I worked for a midwife for 18 years. That's from Katie in Geelong. Well, let's just quickly momentarily stay in West Gippsland because Trisha Kelly is the Director of Operations at West Gippsland Health. And Trish, listening to some of these and listening you know, to Liz before, who I know you work alongside as well, what's the future, do you think, for midwifery in West Gippsland, which covers a huge area of Victoria? How are you going to fill those gaps? That, that is the question, Rochelle. We are trying <laughs> our best out here to, um, to recruit and be the best uh, midwifery service within the region, if not in the state is what we would like. Um, we're trying our best to have a good work-life balance for our staff and trying to you know, listen to what they want, uh, make it a, an, a place of choice to come and work. But it, we have such a deficit in our EFT here, as Liz uh, explained to you before. It's going to take quite a few years to build that back to where we should be. We're waiting for, you know, the students to finish their course and come and work with us. Um, We've got a fantastic model at the moment called RUSOM, um, and it's a registered undergraduate student of midwifery. So all of the students who are currently studying midwifery, why are they working at takeout shops and, and retail? They should be working in health. So we have them now supporting our midwives. They don't take a woman, uh, a patient load, but they're there to help support and that gives them a real life experience of you know w- what is it like working you know shift work mm. delivering it's not all about cuddling babies um yeah i tell you midwives here are absolute superheroes um i can't do it because it makes me faint but these guys are <laughs> absolutely awesome at what they do but I, yeah. I think we're trying to encourage people to you know move to the local area work close to home 
commit to your community, um, you know, live where you work. So we're, we're trying our best to recruit as much as possible. So how do you do that? How do you change? Because we were talking earlier with Liz about a lot of people have gone gone casual um, at the moment yeah. because of the stress of COVID, et cetera, or reduced their hours. How do you encourage them to come on full-time or just attract new full-time midwives? Yeah, look, that, that's hard as well because it is an employee's market out there. So uh, any midwife can go work anywhere if they're offering better better things. So what we are trying to do is with the work-life balance, we have now a, a more strategic way of managing our workload with an induction of labour calendar. So that helps with, you know, um, excess work and we triage. We're trying to give them a voice, as I said, to be heard, embrace their ideas and just refocus on our women-centred care. We're also looking at trying to incentivise with some postgraduate studies that we would help and support our staff with. But, you know, working close to home and being part of the community, I think, uh, and our reputation here as a centre of excellence, I, I hope mm. will speak for itself. It's been fascinating speaking with you, Trish, and we wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Trisha Kelly there, the Director of Operations at West Gippsland Health. I'd be a fainter as well, John. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how I'd go with it. That, My yeah. husband's a fainter and I ended up having to go in for an emergency caesarean and they were like, okay, let's get you ready as well. And I think both at the same time, my husband and I have gone, no. no. <laughs> but it's uh, interesting. There's a text here from um, Judy that says, the story being told by Abby, who rang in before, yes. this is most days. Insufficient staff, unable to give the care required to the family's newborn. Absolutely, mothercraft nurses are great. Great male midwives are at the women's as oh, well. Right. I've never met one of those. I would love to meet one. And if Yeah, if you are a, a male midwife, we would love to hear from you this morning. Uh, just uh, give us a call. Tass is with us from Adelaide. G'day, Tass. Um, what did you want to say? Hi. Hi. I just wanted to call up. I used to work as a midwife in a big metropolitan hospital in Melbourne. Uh, and I just, I hear these stories and I really feel for these midwives that are calling in and for midwives in the system. But I just wanted to say that um, for me, I made the decision to become a private midwife to actually leave the maternity system and work with women one-on-one and offer antenatal and postnatal care in the community. And uh, so offer a model of continuity of care, which more and more midwives um, are looking at and considering. And that's another option for uh, midwives to get job satisfaction and to, to be able to work in a way where they feel uh, they can provide the best possible care for women and their yeah. families. And a huge part of burnout in midwifery is because the maternity system is uh, probably needs to be rebuilt and isn't working in its current state. Mm, so when we're yeah. talking about how to retain midwives, we really need to look at how can we get more women into continuity of care models so that they have the best possible care that they can have and also that will ensure that midwives are leaving work at the end of the day feeling and satisfied. Exactly. And when you say continuity of care, that to me that basically yes. means having the same midwife um, prenatal, yes. you know, during labour and postnatal yes. as well, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so you would have an, a midwife that would be assigned to you all... Um, in in pregnancy or usually one or two midwives that midwife would come to your birth and then they would also support you when you leave hospital or if you're birthing at home when you uh post the birth and um 
you build a relationship with them for eight to nine months. They become part of your family and... It's all of the research all around the world is showing us that that is the gold standard for midwifery care and it's what's best for women and we just need more funding so that we can we can make that happen for more women. I think at the moment in Australia, less than 10% of women are eligible for continuity of care. And it sounds incredible to be able to have that process because you don't realise how much care you need and how much yeah. help you need as well. Yeah. And speaking from someone that didn't have a mum or sisters or anyone to, to help me, yeah. when my midwife came, I would cry and cuddle her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and that's the sort of relationship. When you were talking about before, why do people become midwives? We love women. You know, there's a whole idea that midwives love babies and we love babies too but we love women we want to make women feel strong and empowered in their pregnancy and birth so that they can be the best mothers that they can be and fathers and families that we can build strong families for our community beautiful Tess thank you so much really appreciate your call Wendy is in East Malvern good morning Wendy you're a midwife yes I am good morning Rochelle morning what did you want to say I I just wanted to ring and talk about I, I guess um, the other side of midwifery, um, which is the the early pregnancy loss situation. I worked yeah. in a I work in a um, a big public um, tertiary hospital in Melbourne, and and we see in, in in the emergency department, which is a sort of bespoke emergency department just for gynae and obstetric emergencies. But we see an awful lot of and and deal with an awful lot of early pregnancy loss, and how impactful COVID was on that because we weren't able to have partners in, and that was a very big strain on obviously us providing mental health support for these women suffering these awful pregnancy losses. And I just feel like we let a lot of women down, and that was really really difficult (coughs) excuse me because that's what i'm kind of getting out of all of this is that staff shortages and maternity wards closing and all of this pressure basically equals or translates to stress and trauma for women is that how you see it wendy oh absolutely absolutely and and i agree with the previous caller in that you know, we get into midwifery because of our love for supporting other women, and and honestly, I I'm really I'm on long service leave at the moment, and I and I worry that I won't go back because I just feel you know we would there were so many days I would leave a shift and just cry because I let women down and we just hadn't provided the care that we so desperately wanted to give and and trying to express that to women and you know we got so many complaints through that time and I understand why women would complain because we were so stretched with needing one-to-one care with our COVID positive patients or our COVID suspected patients so we were separated even in our ED we were so stretched it was really hard and 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 the worst impact was obviously on our, our dear women. Oh Wendy I'm so sorry that you feel like you've let women down because, I mean, you go into this wanting to do the complete opposite and that was, you know, this is something that was taken out of your hands and it was 100% not your fault. And the fact that you've given your life to ensure women's safety and protection and health and all of that and the fact that I would hate it that this is how you maybe consider your career ending, feeling like that. Yeah, well, I, I hope not. And, and, you know, I never say never, but, um, and I don't, you know, I don't think every day that that it's all doom and gloom, but there, there were certainly some dark times. And, yeah. um, 
and it's lovely to hear all these you know young midwives going through and, and hopefully staying in the profession and um and enjoying the job because there's so many you know obviously the good outweighs the bad in the in the profession but sometimes it's the bad that sticks with you so i guess that was my my point so it's yeah. um Good on you, Wendy. Thank you so much. And I hope you're getting the support you need as well, too, Wendy. Because you know, miscarriages have an impact on on you as well. Oh, it is. There are some days when you just think, I just can't. I can't. I can't, you know, say to this poor woman, this is the yeah. situation and there's nothing I can, and that's the helplessness that you feel, but, you know, it's, and then sometimes you have to remind yourself that at least we're there to help them. And I know some women yeah. do, appre- and most women appreciate it. I shouldn't say that they're wonderful, but it's, it's, there's no, there's no nice side to that. So no, yeah, it's a hard part of midwifery. Oh <laughs> God, absolutely. Wendy, thank you. I mean, that's, that's the true. reality of, uh, yeah. a lot and of that, the And that too. contributes to the stress, I reckon, because a lot of people, you know, think of midwives as delivering babies or being there during mm. labour, but there's a lot more to it and miscarriage is a part of that. And so thank you, Wendy, for pointing that out. A text here from Dave in Hawthorne saying, does Abby have a small halo above her head? This is Abby who called through earlier. Uh, well, I reckon Wendy has a small halo above her head as well, but um, uh, and and so do all midwives, I reckon. But um, let's have a chat now to uh, to Ron, who is in Bendigo. We were asking earlier about whether there's been any male midwives who we could have a chat with. Well, Ron is one. G'day, Ron. What's it like as a male midwife? Well, I used to be one. I'm a few years retired now, but uh, it was a great job. What made you want to get into the profession? Um, sort of fluked into it. I uh, had a little bit of involvement with some um, home birthing and amongst some hippies over in East Gippsland, <laughs> uh, yeah. and I wanted and I wanted to get out of bricklaying because it was too hard to work. <laughs> you went from bricklaying <laughs> to being a midwife. That's right. That's a great. I'm not transition. sure what's tra- like transferable skills are involved from <laughs> bricklaying to midwifery. Were people surprised, Ron, when you either rocked up in someone's birthing suite or when you told somebody, you know, at a barbecue that you're a midwife? Every time. <laughs> yeah. And was that a problem for you, Ron? Well, uh, yeah. Always, uh, I'd ask another a female colleague to go and ask and say there's a male midwife on and he's been allocated to your care, is that reasonable or would you prefer someone else? And I, I worked for 22 years in the one place. So, um, And I worked in a small team of midwives where women were allocated to that team knowing there was a man in the team. And what about ratios? Like we were hearing earlier, you know, that the legal or the, the ratio is supposed to be one midwife to four patients, right? And we've heard earlier that hasn't been stuck to particularly because of COVID. But have you ever had to do, you know, it's had to deal with or work with more than four women in one shift? Well, in, in labour ward, you should always be one-on-one care if one's in active labour. Um, outside of labour ward, you're often caring for me more than four and their babies, of course, too. Yeah, well, that's right. You got double, don't you, pretty much instantly. Yeah. Ron, it's been great to hear from you. Thank mm. you so much.
This sex from Joan in Geelong, I completely agree. Time to bring back Mothercraft nurses. I worked in this field for 25 years until we were phased out. It's the worst decision ever. I loved every minute of my 25 years and we are gold. How do we encourage more men and women to take up the profession of midwifery? What changes do we want to see so that things like ratios, birth trauma, all of the problems associated, birthing wards being shut down, mm. how do we alleviate some of those pressures? And they are really, really special people. There's a degree of goodwill. It reminds me of a lot of other caring professions, you know, uh, doctors, teachers, nurses, all that kind, all those ones where there's a degree of goodwill. You have to get into it with really good intentions and then even though there's all these stresses and traumas that you go through, um, you kind of got to really, really love the job. And that's definitely what mm. we're hearing today because what is it, one in five... Uh, midwives have just stopped being midwives during the pandemic because of the stress that they're under. And as we heard from Abby just at the course she was in, 20% of yeah. those dropped out and not yeah. everyone's going to be Abby and do it for the love and I wonder like you made the comparisons to teachers there and that yeah. has been the argument for teachers for a long time. People yeah, you say, do it oh, because you love it. Because yeah. they love it. It's like, yes. wow. Well, you still got to get paid for it as well. That's you know? right and this is the yeah. reason why we have a teacher shortage too. Yeah, exactly. Glenn Taylor is the CEO at Nursing and Midwifery Health Program Victoria. Glenn, how are we going to fix this? I mean, we've got all sorts of ideas coming through uh, around support for midwives that are needed so that that support can then be handed on to women and their and their babies. What would you like to see change? Well, look, as far as the system goes, that's sort of outside of my scope, I think, Michelle, but what, we, what our focus is on is working with the individual to help them to support them so that people like Abby will, will stay in the profession for as long as they'd like to. And for people like Wendy, that when her long service is up, that she will return. And I hope Wendy's still listening because that's, that's exactly what we're here for, is to support her. So it, it's really about, I think, I, I'm, I'm probably a bit more um, optimistic and, and I feel as though there's, as, as your callers and, and you, um, both of you have identified so far, is that it's, it's hardwired into us. Um, the, the profession of, of midwifery and nursing it's hardwired in and there'll be people who will, even in spite of knowing what the challenges are confronting them, will still go into it and because it's their values and it's, they want to do something to contribute to society. And, and as, as many of your callers have said already today, is that it's what they want to do and it's what they, it's the value that they feel that they, they make in, in our society. And, and we need that. We need our work. Our work needs to be valuable to us. Mm. So I think that in time, hopefully, you know, the, hopefully when the system will hopefully be righted, some of the um, implementations that government are putting in place, which I think are, you know, are really encouraging, will hopefully draw people into it. And then that's when people like us and working in partnership with the health services that they're working for can support them. And I was really encouraged to hear what Trish had to say in West Gippsland around, around the work-life balance, around giving um, the midwives and our employees an opportunity to have a say in what it is that they can do and how, how, they, how they can work. So yeah. I think there's, I think there's, there's hope. Definitely. Well, that's good. That's good. It's good to hear because um, we've heard stories this morning about women giving birth in COVID units, in emergency departments, about um, being kind of shunted out of maternity wards just because there aren't enough staff to look after them. And then that lack of continuity of care as well. So that, um, you know, we've heard about previous programs that have been in place whereby there is a continuity of care and even some current programs as well but um are we just getting by at the moment like are we stuck in that pandemic mindset of just just scraping through and get doing the bare minimum to keep everyone as safe as possible 
Look, I, I think that that's probably a good way of putting it. And I think that um, what I would say is thank God for nurses and midwives because it's it's that. It's that. It's the goodwill. It's the commitment. It's the compassion. It's the care. It's the empathy that they have that, that they will go above and beyond. But there's only so much you can go above and beyond. There's only so far you can go above and beyond. And and what we're seeing is that as the, the fuel tanks are empty, um, many of many of the midwives that we're dealing with um, just don't have the capacity anymore. And one of the really interesting things, which I think um, uh, Abby, Abby and um, pretty much pretty well everyone's spoken today, is saying that we're, we're facing situations which we would sort of term as moral distress. And it's where we, we, we get into the profession to be able to do what it is that we, we think we, we should be able to do, but then we're, we're incapable of doing it because mm. we just don't have the resources or the people or there's, too, there's not enough of us to go around for too much. There's and, a tech- and that's when... Sorry. No, continue, sorry. I think that's when we that's when we do um, look ourselves in the mirror and go, is this what I can I do this mm. anymore? Um, am I able to do this? Do I want to do this anymore? And that's the thing. I mean, there's the idea of what it will look like and why you go into it, but then the reality. There's a, another text here, and this could be one of many that we're receiving. It says, "I'm a midwife in a large metro maternity hospital. Public maternity hospitals are now like production lines. Get them in, get them out. Midwives are under pressure to do more with less, and mothers suffer. As a midwife, not being able to do your job well is demoralising, and that's why midwives are leaving. Yes." Continuity of care is the gold standard. But staffing shortages have been coming for 15 years. COVID has highlighted the cracks in the system and there's no end in sight. That's a fairly confronting text to read. Would you agree, Glenn? Oh, look, it's definitely confronting and and I have no doubt that that's the case for for, for so many. And I I think that we we have to... What we try to do is we try to... We can only work with... We've got to eat this elephant one bite at a time. And we can only work with the people that we're that we're working with, and, and we hope that they come to us early enough so that they're they're still in the profession, and we can still work with them to keep them in the profession, so that they can find ways within themselves, within their their sort of lotus of control, so that they are able to then work, hopefully in hand in hand with their employer or their management, so that they can come up with um, with solutions and ways of working that are going to keep them in the profession. Because we, yeah. as, as we all know, we can't afford to lose them, and it takes time for them to come through as well. Yeah, well, good on you, Glenn. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Uh, Glenn Taylor, CEO at Nursing and Midwifery Health Program Victoria. Uh, It is, yes, a whole lot of stress. And again, Rish, I come back to this point of not wanting to stress people out so that they don't get into a career as a midwife but um people are already taking kind of preemptive action like amelia is in melbourne and has just graduated but you've got a bit of a plan amelia tell us about that hi yes so i work i've worked alongside abby as well she's one of my friends i'm part of her cohort and because of the experiences that she's talking about that i've also experienced um in my training I've decided now that I've just graduated that I'm going to try and set up my own sort of website and business um, and also get qualifications in personal training and more holistic care for um, women who are pregnant. Mm. But that if I find the um, workload is too much for me, um, I've got something I can fall back on. 
That's interesting, Amelia. And I wonder whether more graduates like yourself are thinking like that. And I wonder whether more women, more pregnant women or women thinking about getting pregnant are thinking of the alternatives here now. And they may not necessarily been thinking ever that they wanted, and I use the word alternative birth in a, you know, a, a very straightforward sense. But women that may wanted to have just birthed at hospitals and gone down the, the path that most people go down and now thinking, is that going to be too stressful? And do I need to think outside the square a little bit? Well, there are always going to be, I mean, women have been giving birth. <clears throat> women have been giving birth for decades longer than midwives have been around. Um, so home birthing is an appropriate option if you are low risk and it's what you desire to do. But there will always be midwives working in the wards that are so committed and can still provide safe care. But because of the ratios that Abby's spoken about, mm. um, we, are, we are actually unable to provide safe care. So how did you go? Because have you just done a year's placement as well? And, and how did that go? So I'm completing my graduate year next year, right. um, starting February, and I've decided to go work in a private um, component in Melbourne. So that, um, yeah, the experiences that I had as a student in training, because we do over about a thousand hours of placement, um, that kind of turned me off working in the public system. Yeah, well, I could look. I think I could probably get you a job uh, down Geelong Way if you really. Well, I could probably get you a job anywhere. I reckon at the moment you're in high <laughs> demand. Yes, uh, and that's also the thing. I think. The issue is not necessarily that we don't have enough midwives or nurses, you know, transferring to be midwives entering into the job. It's that the pay isn't that great. And as a young person living in Melbourne, I already am so concerned about moving out of home with the housing prices and the, the pay isn't necessarily going to support me in that aspect. Mm, yeah, it's a bit of a perfect storm. Look, thank you so much for telling your story and I hope you do stick with it, even though you do have a backup plan, which is probably pretty wise. Mm. Uh, let's have a chat now with Hannah Darlin, who's a professor of midwifery at the University of Western Sydney. You've looked into birth trauma in particular. Now, I was saying earlier, all of these shortages, the maternity wards closing, basically it translates into a higher rate of birth trauma. Is that how you see it, Hannah? Yeah, look, good, good morning, and I'm so glad to see this topic is, is being addressed because it's critical. So we know um, from a big study we've recently undertaken that nearly 30% of women are emerging from their birth, traumatised by the birth, which is pretty horrifying for something that should be one of the most joyous experiences in your life. We know that's gotten worse over COVID because of um, many, many issues regarding, you know, not being able to have the sport people you want, the isolation, etc., but um, other research that we're undertaking is showing us that um, midwives are extremely traumatised as well. So in some studies, up to a quarter of midwives are suffering trauma themselves from witnessing or being a part of or feeling they have contributed to a woman's trauma due to the busyness, due to having to run between different rooms, due to going home every day feeling that you've let down women or witnessing yeah intervention that has a significant impact on women's um, psychological Well, we heard that from Wendy earlier. She said multiple times that she felt like she had let women down. But there's a text here from Steph in Melbourne. It says, I'm a midwife. I did a 10-hour duty shift in a birth suite with one glass of water for my break on Saturday night. Staff shortages, but we were trying our hardest. For me, one and a part of the problem is some of the newer 
midwives think that it's all cuddling babies and that it's not hard work. But when you talk about birth trauma and it makes sense that when we look at all of the problems that hospitals and women and midwives are are facing at the moment with shortages in the midwifery profession, I feel like at the same time we're only just starting to recognise and talk about and research what birth trauma is. It's a relatively new term that's being used sort of in a in a more common way Hannah so is this just kind of making everything worse yes and, and thank goodness we are starting to talk about it it's always been there but we do know as intervention rates increase and where care is fragmented and you don't have continuity and several people have discussed this that you know on your program that that, that rate of birth trauma increases uh, so we know continuity of care is a fundamental part of of breaking this cycle of trauma so that women have a midwife who they know through the pregnancy who they gain trust and who understands what they want who treats them during labor and birth with that respect and knowledge and then provides the postnatal care where they can debrief so we know that absolutely is wonderful for ameliorating trauma but also we know midwives who work in those models if they're well supported and that's the next thing we have to get to actually find that they have less trauma themselves and they have much greater satisfaction. So one of the big reasons midwives are leaving, there is definitely staffing, there's no doubt that 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 has a huge impact on people. But another reason is being unable to practice in models of care that they want to. Mm. You know, we have a very dominated, um, highly medicalized model of care. And the other reason is often lacking support from management. So we have this terrible name, blame and shame um, attitude to when things go wrong, where we land on you when there's a problem, but we never come around and say to you, well done, great, great work today. It was a busy shift, really value you. And and a big study in the UK found that 88% of midwives who left would actually return if there was adequate staffing, number one, and number two, 80% would return if the workforce culture was improved. Yep. So we need to do a lot about workforce culture. They're, they're powerful, two powerful words, aren't they? Thank you. And I don't think we say them enough. Uh, just hang there for a second, Hannah, because Kate has given us a call from Inverley and wants to say something about birth trauma. What did you want to say, Kate? Oh, hello. Thank you. Um, virtually um, exactly what Hannah's just said, I wanted to talk about why that I think um, the birth trauma, both from the perspective of the care women and families are receiving, um, but also what it's doing to midwives is the big elephant in the room that I'm so glad to hear has been put out on the table today. And having that care for women and men like yourself, Kate, that are doing that work, the last thing we want is for you to go home, like Wendy said, and feel like you've let women down well i left the system years ago i've been a home birth midwife for a long time now um but you know sadly what i'm seeing is many midwives wanting to join us and there's quite a few hurdles to overcome to become an endorsed midwife that being a midwife that can um work where you're able to prescribe um, order pathology, order ultrasounds, and women can come to you from virtually conception mm. to six weeks post care. And mm. we are turning back women all the time, and it's one of the hardest things now. Women calling, um, wanting to have that care, and we just don't have the capacity to give it to, to them. Do that. Kate, thanks so much for holding and sharing your thoughts as well. And Hannah, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it.
My pleasure. Hannah Darlin there, Professor of Midwifery at the University of Western Sydney. And text here about well, try giving birth in regional Victoria. It says, hey yeah. guys, these shortages are not new. I had my kids in 1986 and 1988, had to travel to Ballarat, 110 kilometres away, not much fun in the middle of the night and in labour. And mm. we know that that's becoming more and more of an issue. Amber Bidner is a former registered nurse and nuclear medicine scientist and now a researcher at the University of South Australia and has been behind a project called Healthy Newborn Project. Amber, when we talk about some of the restrictions that are placed on people uh, geographically, there's also a lack of specialists and sonographers in regional areas. How much of a problem is that? Uh, thank you for having me. Um, it's, it's a long-term problem um, for regional, rural and remote areas uh, that we women in these areas, pregnant women do not have access to sonographers as well as many other services. And this has been going on for at least a decade now. Um, so our, our project uh, runs through the University of South Australia with some very generous funding from the Hospital Research Foundation, uh, which I, I run the project under Chief Investigator Nayana Parangi and Professor Eva Bizak. Uh, we were able to perform a national survey to look at this problem, but also uh, to attack the problem with a very practical approach, which was providing point-of-care ultrasound training to midwives and doctors in rural areas. Right, so, so you can kind of turn GPs and, you know, clinics into a sonographer's kind of um, uh, a sonographer's area. Gosh, that's easier said than done, though, surely, <laughs> Abba. You're breaking a little. I'm not sure what's what's going on with my phone here. Oh, no. So, so I was just saying that you're basically extending the network of sonography across Australia. Is that right? Uh, absolutely. But I do have to point out there is a difference between uh, diagnostically performed ultrasound by a sonographer and that performed as a point of care by a rural, by a rural clinician. Um Amber, and it sounds like you've got one of those classic uh, regional and rural phone lines <laughs> as well. And we're so sorry. We might actually have to let you go, but we sort of got the gist of what you're yes. saying is that not only do you have to travel a long way, as Chris said on text as well, but then you don't have those wraparound services for that, you know, eight or nine months as yep. you're going through your pregnancy. But I don't know. I think it's interesting that you can train up GPs and whatnot to be able to do those ultrasounds and whatnot. But some places don't even have GPs, Jono. Or yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And so people are traveling really, really long distances to get access to a sonographer just to do, it might be a weekly ultrasound. It might be even more frequent than that in some cases. But the, the, the gist of, of Amber's work there that she was talking about is that in regional areas, maternal and perinatal uh, death rates in remote areas are double compared to metropolitan really? sites just because there is yeah because there's a lack of sonographers there's a lack of facilities so um so people just end up not going because it's just too far it costs too much i had no idea thank you to everyone that rang through today and to all of the texts as well and you know, we said right at the very beginning and someone said look don't call us a special type of person in order to become a midwife and we don't mean yeah. that in a derogatory way we're actually saying that because because they are generally people well, of strength and they are and generosity as wow. well yeah, I don't know if I'd use the word generous. I think it's more that they are just, as I said, if you're going to go in a battle, these are someone that just gets stuff done, <laughs> that do. know what they're doing. They are cool yeah. under pressure. They are passionate, but they, there is no mucking around. Like, you, you know, they are... 
Yeah. Just some of the most well, organised people I've patient ever met. Patient as well is another word that I would, I would attach to them because um, like with learning how to breastfeed type thing, you know, not, it's people kind of think that it's just a natural thing and it just happens straight away. It, it does. There's a, there's a real technique to it and midwives are really, really important in that. Um, so, yeah, I take my – I dip my lid to midwives. I take my hat off. As always, joining you from ABC Gippsland, Jonathan Kendall, thank you. Speak to you next week. And tomorrow we're talking about the rise in teen workers, in young workers. We're needing them to fill gaps and many are leaving school in order to take up work. Are we paying them properly?